welcome to the ALN podcast series. If you like what you're hearing, you can find this and other podcasts, videos, papers, and more at assetleadership.net. Today's episode is brought to you by the Andrew James Advisory Group. AJAG provides training in the ISO 55000 standard, and our world-class training qualifies students to take the ALN A55K certification exam, an industry recognition of an individual's knowledge of the standard. Certified individuals add value to any organization's asset management initiatives. Realizing your ISO 55000 vision need not be painful. Visit us at www.andrewjamesadvisory.com to see how we can help. Now, enjoy the podcast. It occurred to me that leaders are people who sign policy and that we should have a policy month and talk about asset management policy. And I talked with Jack Dempsey and he said, whoa, 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 leaders are interested in outcomes. Policy is one of the things that help them get to the outcomes they want to have. What we should be talking about is advancing outcomes with asset leadership. So what we're gonna be doing is further defining the difference between asset leadership and asset management simply said, asset leadership are the people who say we are going to start using new tools and processes and this structured approach to asset management that's taking off all over the world to change the way we manage our assets. So the leadership is that decision to invest time, money, research into an improved and advanced process. And this month, we're going to have different angles on how to look at it. Today is great. We've got uh, all ALN board members um, and they're all involved in writing standards. They're taking a leadership in that way also. And um, then next week we'll be talking with our friends from Canada who are a little bit uh, more advanced in their asset management than uh, we in the U.S. And they have uh, legislation uh, that is another act of leadership. And then um, we're going to be having the folks from Portland, Oregon talk about how they wrote the asset management policy for the city of Portland, Oregon. That's looking forward to that also. And then we're going to do uh, something a little different. We want to engage you. We want you to participate. So the um, Thursday before Christmas, please say you want to speak. We're going to have an open forum Christmas party talking about the issues that have been coming that have come up. And then the Thursday before New Year's, we're going to have a panel of people talking about what has been learned from this month of discussions. And Jack Dempsey had a great idea that we create a paper out of the conversations, the ideas, any chat exchanges, any email exchanges that happen because of this discussion, we're going to put into a document that reports on what we've learned about advancing outcomes with asset leadership. So without further ado, we're going to start with Jack Dempsey, who's going to give a 10 minute talk. We're gonna then follow that up with Jim Dieter and uh, Jack Kelly gets the uh, uh, cleanup spot, um, but uh, very interested and excited to hear from you, Jack Dempsey. 
Yeah, no, thanks, Mike. And it's always a pleasure to be here with the uh, Asset Leadership Network. And I think your uh, your startup was uh, was kind of right on point. We talk about asset management a lot, and uh, leadership is a big big part of the thought process. But usually, we jump ahead, getting into the uh, into the details. So um, I think these forums are excellent places to kind of air some ideas, um, hear about what different people are thinking, and and ultimately. Uh, from the ALM standpoint is get some feedback from people who are using this information. I uh, want to hear more from you and get your insights on what, what kind of content is important. Um, in prepping for this conversation, I, I was kind of thinking about, okay, what, uh, what, what would be uh, of interest? And uh, one of the things I went to was uh, Simon Snigget. I think many of you know him. He's got the uh, golden circle, the why, how, what, uh, conversation and an element of that is is you know most people know uh, what they do and how they do it and sometimes we forget about the why we do things which is really a big part of what gets us all excited so I thought well maybe that's a good frame a reference to think about in terms of uh, this conversation today so the why we do asset management is it's all about outcomes as Mike uh, kind of highlighted um, asset management is a management discipline. It's complicated, has lots of details, involves uh, technical language. Um, but ultimately, the reason why asset management here is to, here today, in terms of kind of like a, a discipline, is it's about outcomes. Executives got jobs to do. They want to get things done. They need um, confidence that their organization is going to work that way. Managers and practitioners, likewise, need to understand what's needed. They need to get things done and they don't want to deal with headaches. So it's it's about why getting to the outcome. Um, and, and so that's that's basically the big underscore for asset management. Um, how asset management does that, and this is was kind of a light bulb moment for me as I was getting used to the standards and learning about the standards. It's not about assets, it's about value, or more specifically, the value created by assets. Um, it sounds simple. But, but actually, um, that statement for me is probably the most profound statement in the entire body of the ISO 55000 standards. Um, when I read it a couple of times, I just read it, kept on going to the next thing. But as I kept on coming back and looking at that, it started kind of making sense to me that it's not about asset management in terms of managing the asset. It's really about um, the values created by assets. So, I'm a civil engineer. I uh, spent most of my time in a professional uh, life in as a as an asset manager, managing assets, uh, solving problems, doing that kind of stuff. Um, I love engineering. I was really excited about you know construction management, design, facility maintenance, and stuff like that. And I was always interested in how come like the consumer that I'm helping out is not really all that interested in the stuff that I was doing. So really, my career was was kind of a, a mystery I had to solve. And asset management really kind of helped me do that. It's about um, understanding that what is important to them is this facility is there operating and they can get their job done. But they're interested in getting their job done, not necessarily my job, that's my job. So um, the why is it's all about outcomes. The how is it's focusing on value. So um, what do you do in terms of asset management is important. And that's where a lot of the work is. So from a manager, basically you wanna get the job done and you wanna make sure that what you're communicating is clear to the people who need to respond to your instructions or your direction. 
And likewise, as a manager, you have bosses that you have to make sure that you understand what their needs and requirements are. So the asset management structure is about understanding how to communicate more or less those objectives, those priorities, particularly how is value defined and moving back and forth. As a practitioner, you don't want headaches, you wanna get the job done and know that you're doing a good job. As an owner, you just wanna make sure things are working. And as a consumer or kind of a, a participant in this process, you want to have some appreciation that, wow, that's that's helping things out. I can, uh, I, can I like what's going on over there. That's the why, how, what. The big picture to get back to the theme of what uh, Mike Bornario brought up was um, it's not really all about asset management. It's about asset leadership and the ability to understand that organizations have needs, they have assets, those assets have needs, and to understand how that's being coordinated. Um, right now, we're all aware of and can appreciate and have lots of examples of how stovepipe activities just limit, you know, or frustrate the ability to, to make good decisions or, or do good work. So asset leadership in terms of why that's important, and I think a big uh, important conversation for today is it's about understanding that that asset management system, those activities and all those professionals trying to get the work done, make things happen. It's about changing. It's about having the courage in some cases to go out and try something new. It's about learning um, about new information. It's about coming to forums like this and saying, maybe there's more to this story than I know and understand. Leadership happens at, of course, multiple different levels, but ultimately it's about learning how all this information gets, um, gets put together and also understanding and learning how organizations really need to um, figure out, can I do more? Is there more that I can do? Can I lower risk? Can I increase costs? All that kind of stuff is good management stuff. But the leadership aspect is taking that first step. So I think that's a good, um, I guess, way to kind of frame today's conversation. Uh, it certainly gives some insights on my view of how asset management is important. And, uh, and in some respects, uh, provides a why, how, what answer. Before we move on to Jim Dieter, Jack, can you give us an example of asset leadership from your long career? And I always have to say, thank you for introducing me to the Asset Leadership Network. We've known each other for a long time, and you knew I'd be very interested in this, and I am. Yeah, sure, absolutely, and probably the first, the first really hot dip galvanize, um, you know, time I got really learning about asset management. I was in the Coast Guard. I was a, an officer, civil engineer, mid career. I got assigned to headquarters, which for somebody working in the field isn't really the exciting tour you want to take uh, mid career. Um, at that time, the Coast Guard, as any organization, was going through challenges. Um, changes were happening in the environment. The budget was always under pressure, um, you know, trying to figure out how technology applies and, and how it all kind of works. Um, at the time, we had a, a leader, um, uh, Admiral Allen, who's, a, who's been a, a recent participant here at the, at the ALN and, and otherwise, who basically said, we need to think about this differently, um, solve the problem differently, and he developed an initiative that I became involved in. It's called the Shore Facilities Capital Asset Management Program. Um, at the beginning, it was hard to understand how, how that was making a difference because we talked about you know, value and kind of soft, soft things, whereas engineers like to talk about life cycle and investment strategies. But the focus that he took, and it really in many ways changed the course of my professional journey, was 
it's really you got to focus on the culture on the people they have to understand that what is happening here is advantageous helping them out and that means you know kind of living that process that journey with them so 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 that's a that was an experience I had midway through my career in the Coast Guard that really opened my eyes to say there's something else going on. Um, I'll just fast forward a little bit today. I'm involved um, with some others here on the call. Um, the ISO, uh, developing the ISO standards, uh, updating those standards. And one aspect that I'm really happy to see happening in those conversations is there's a conversation. It's an international conversation on what are the um, uh, asset management principles in, in asset management, are there principles? Can we define those principles? How do they apply? Lots of kind of interesting twists and turns. But I think the, the conversation of principles is, is basically a leadership kind of conversation. Um, it's talking about, um, whereas the standards, for example, and some of you are familiar with those, talk about um, how to do something uh, right. Principles talk about doing the right things. Principles help you look around the corners or something more that we need to do. Sustainability, for example, is a big element of our contributions on we're using these assets, but what happens with them? The ability for uh, continuity planning is a big part of the asset management story and how we're doing that. So principles is kind of like, I think, a modern version of taking uh, standards and requirements and methods and policies telling this is what you got to do. Principles is a way that helps us understand um, and ask us the makes us ask the question, what should I be doing? And am I doing the right things that overall generate value? Uh, thank you very much. And I've got to share one of my favorite uh, leadership stories with Admiral Allen. Uh, Kimon Onuma, president of Onuma Inc., which is an ALN patron member was working with Jack Dempsey on that program that he mentioned. And he wasn't getting any uh, involvement. He had a contract with the Coast Guard, but no one was really asking him for his advanced uh, visualization of data uh, processes. And then Admiral Allen had a meeting with the engineering department and said, I need to improve my outcomes. And if the engineering department as it is cannot help me improve my outcomes, I will fire all 600 engineers and I will outsource to anyone in the world who will help me achieve my outcomes. And all of a sudden, Kimon said his phone started ringing off the hook. People wanted to talk with him about the ways they could help achieve Admiral Allen's outcomes. That's establishing culture. <laughs> so it's just sobering to too, but it is, yeah, exactly. It was, uh, and that's uh, effectively true. <laughs> yeah, sobering. And that's, that's what all of this is. You know, I think we have been confronted with the sobering facts of what's happening to our world. And perhaps asset leadership can drive the asset management needed to help and Jim Dieter is next up. Hi, Jim. Hi, Mike. How are you today? I'm excited. <laughs> That's good. Well, I'll let you uh, uh, take your 10 minutes uh, and uh, come back at the end of your talk. Well, yeah, I got to pick up on Jack Dempsey as well then because uh, when he told me in the past that story, 
uh, you ended with something that I think is very relevant to the discussion about outcomes. Uh, you know, we talk about asset management, asset leadership. Uh, you know, it's kind of intellectual concepts. Uh, and we talk about, can certainly get into talking about assets and managing the assets, uh, you know, in very, you know, sort of a third party kind of way of looking at it. But Jack said uh, what he learned in the Coast Guard was that it's great to have all those Coast Guard cutters and it's great to have all those shore facilities. But the outcome isn't just a concept, it's pulling a child from the water in a flood. And I have just used that image all the time to help me focus on what's really important. Uh, you know, whatever your organization is, what is it you're really doing? And how are your assets supporting what you're doing? And what assets should you have to support what you're doing? Uh, if we're running the DC Metro, it's great to talk about trains being on time and uh, you know avoiding accidents, all really important. But the outcomes, the outcomes, the big value that's provided is all those people getting to work every day, all those people getting to sporting events, all those people getting to wherever it is they want to go. Uh, you know, that's the outcome. That's the purpose of, of this system. And in the large, in the large view, and that that of course is why that you know, organization exists entirely. Now, not all organizations are so asset centric, which I, I like to use asset centric rather than asset intensive because I think it's a more accurate term. But uh, even organizations, lots of different assets that provides lots of different outcomes. Uh, say a city. Um, started to work at Jacobs through work with uh, the city of St. Petersburg. And they're taking a, a large view of the assets that they have and getting everybody together to really have a joined up look of how they're doing asset management. It's not that they haven't been doing asset management uh, very well, but they haven't been doing it in a structured and a coordinated way. You know, again, to tie back to earlier comments is uh, it's about the coordinated activities of an organization, you know, not the coordinated assets of an organization. Uh, so that value and outcomes. And that and that brings me back to the, the policy piece that, you know, Mike talked about. Uh, I've, written policies and had to live by policies as we all have in organizations. Uh, and I didn't always have a good opinion of them. Uh, and I didn't really understand them the way I think I do now, which is, you know, the policies are really the way for organizational leaders to institutionalize their principles, their processes, uh, within their organization. So an asset management policy, you know, starts to work in that direction and will probably expand over time as more things are understood and uh, more processes can be uh, detailed 
et cetera. But the you know, policies and then the procedures you know, get us to that point. Uh, I've also started to think about leadership in a little, a little bit of a different way. Uh, and of course, there's, you know, all models are wrong, some are useful, as Tony McGrail has said, and I have quoted many times. But uh, so there's a part of leadership that's that, well, let's write the policy. Let's, you know, how are we going to achieve those outcomes? Uh, you know, very linear, linear kind of a process. Uh, and that's hugely important and it develops culture, et cetera. But there's also a portion of leadership that's dealing with the unknowns. Uh, you know, what's going to happen tomorrow that you hadn't anticipated? You know, back to the city example, uh, you know, if uh, St. Petersburg had been hit by a hurricane instead of, you know, the next towns down the, down the coast, uh, it's a very different situation to have to deal with. Uh, so, you know, being able to anticipate or react to, uh, if necessary, uh, unexpected and unknown events, and to look in a positive way for things that can be done in an organization. So having a structured approach to asset management, to try to tie those pieces together, a structured approach to asset management allows you to have that policy uh, and procedures that help you uh, point the organization towards achieving the objectives and mission of the organization you know, that plays out in the lives of people and other organizations, depending on, uh, you know, what your product of your organization is. Uh, I think it's important for us to really think about those outcomes, not just in terms of words on a PowerPoint slide. Uh, I, I'm starting to think outcomes should always be visuals. Uh, you know, the visual of pulling a child from the water or someone getting off the metro so that they can go to work or uh, you know, go to a Nats game like I often take the metro to do here in DC. Uh, you know, it's important. And the assets that were involved in managing all of us and providing leadership, you know, it's the stage on which we lead our live our lives. Uh, and there's trillions of dollars of assets around all of us that we're involved with every day. How's that, Mike? Is that good? That was good, but I'm going to ask you the leadership question also, but I'm going to ask it a little different. Can you tell us a story of sports asset leadership that has resonated with you? Oh, sure. You know, it's a you know, it's an interesting one. So I'm a baseball fan, although you can pick by just any just about any team. Uh, so I'm a Nationals fan, I have been for years, and we've actually tried for uh, several years to get Mike Rizzo, their general manager, or uh, someone in his office to speak at one of our events about asset management. Of course, we probably would have to tell them, you know, that what we think what they're doing in asset management, because they, they probably don't think of it that way. But managing the contracts are assets. To us, of course, people aren't assets. People are kind of the point of, of things. Uh, but you know, those player contracts are assets. And the Nationals, you know, uh, 
used, you know, all the techniques available to them to assemble assets that led them to winning a World Series. Now people are greatly disappointed because, you know, they've been bad for a couple of years <laughs> because they, uh, their assets aged out and they uh, traded assets for younger assets uh, or those contracts, let's say. Yes. Uh, but, you know, they have a, a, another whole approach that they're working on now to assemble the assets. Of course, not just in terms of player contracts, but in terms of uh, technology, in terms of uh, coaching, you know, and lots of other aspects. So, yeah, that's a good one. Okay. Well, we'll have you back uh, for the discussion period. We'll bring on Jack Kelly. And I'm just going to come out and say it, that Jack Kelly is a leader himself. Um, while he was at the Office of Management and Budget, he established a program that saved the U.S. federal government a billion dollars in travel uh, ticket costs a year. And it's still going on. And he helped establish basically single-handedly the GSA office. Uh, tell me the proper name of it, Jack. I always say it wrong. Officer government-wide policy. Government-wide policy. You would think that a large organization would have had an office of government-wide policy, but it didn't happen until Jack Kelly led the way to that. So so, uh, you, to uh, start the discussion, we, he's got some pretty exciting stuff to say. Take it away, Jack. I don't know. Well, everybody will make a judgment about that when I'm done. So one of the things that Mike and Jim um, know about me is I do enjoy talking. And so I was, I was told, you know, make sure that you get three points across in your, <laughs> in your conversation so that you don't just ramble on forever. So I thought about that and I thought, okay. <laughs> Thinking about leadership, I, I have three points I want to make about leadership. The first is that anyone can be a leader regardless of what level you work at in an organization. It's not just the bosses that can be leaders. It can, it's anybody that can be a leader. Secondly, leaders use the authority that's available to them to get things done. In other words, to achieve outcomes. They're not you know you can't you have to work within the tools and the authorities you have but leaders take those authorities and they get things done and finally leaders leaders lead teams they don't accomplish things on their own and it's all about you know leadership is engaging a team in accomplishing something and that's those are my those are my three takeaway thoughts that i'd like at least to get out there before i start rambling on um most of the conversations that I've been part of that deal with leadership are leadership within an organization. And as both Jack and Jim mentioned, it's leadership that creates the culture that helps the organization mobilize itself in a constructive way across all of the different stovepipes to accomplish the uh, desired outcomes of that organization. And that's, you know, that's it really is it's really is cultural leadership that's that's what it's all about it's getting people to feel comfortable with coming forward with new ideas with trying things out that have never been done with looking around the corner and trying to anticipate things that haven't happened yet uh, it, all of those are qualities that leadership needs to bring to organizations 
the challenge that I'm facing right now, the, one of the one of the working groups that I'm working on within the um, ISO structure, the working group seven, which is creating a new kind of, of asset. It's not really a standard; it's a set of guidance. And unlike the other other guidance documents within the the, the ISO TC two fifty one, the asset management series. This one's looking not at, at an an individual organization on how the organization should manage its assets, but it's taking the leadership idea up a level to a whole country. In other words, how can a, how can a country, how can the organizations within a country mobilize themselves to adopt asset management? And it's, um, it's, it's kind of a novel challenge because you're not, you're not trying to get a single organization to behave a particular way. What you're trying to do is convince a lot of organizations to behave in a particular way. One of the foundational ideas that's part of the asset management series of standards is that organizations exist within a broader context. In other words, a set of conditions that affect how, what the organizations can do or or direct them to do certain things. Like, so you may have regulations that you have to respond to that cause you to behave in ways that you otherwise wouldn't have behaved. You may have laws that, that do the same thing. And so the, 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 the organizations that create those external conditions in the, in the ISO 55000 world are considered stakeholders. So these stakeholders create the conditions within which the organization operates. Well, when you back away from it, looking at a single organization and you take a very top-down look at all the organizations in a country, you see that a lot of the, of the organizations that are stakeholders for specific organizations are common to, to a lot of organizations. They could be whether they're government agencies, regulatory agencies, whether they're lenders, whether they're insurers. These are other entities that affect the behavior of the organizations that are managing their assets. So the question is, from a from a leadership perspective, how do you how do you how do you bring leadership into the that mix of organizations? What do you, how do you actually engage them in a way that is it's going to lead to the outcome? And by the way, one of the things that we are we have realized is that public policies are the most powerful way to influence behaviors in pretty much any country. So how do you how do you engage all of those different players? in a way that positively impacts the public policy making process so that that process supports asset management. And that, that's the challenge that we're facing in this, in this working group. And so the question is, when you've got a whole, a whole cluster of organizations, where does leadership come in and who's gonna provide it? Well, what I've concluded is within, as far as asset management goes, within any given country, there are two likely candidates who can who can take play that leadership role. The first are what we call national mirror committees. And national mirror committees are basically it's like the US tag is the national mirror committee for asset management from in the US. That's one. The second one is you've got you've got asset asset management advocacy groups. For, for example, the Asset Leadership Network is an asset management advocacy group. And actually, we've been, I think we, the ALN, have been playing a, a, a leadership role be, even before I even knew what we were trying to do. And that is, you, several years ago, some of you who've been following us for a while know that we 
we developed, we started developing something called the, the National Asset Leadership Strategy, the NALS. And, and, and we, got a, we, we got a certain, you know, we got down the road on that path a ways and we're still on that road. But now that I've, now that I've got this new role with this working group trying to develop a, um, an, a, an approach to creating, you know, creating this environment for asset management, a positive environment or what we call an enabling environment for asset management, I realized that that, that NALS actually might serve in the role of what we in the asset management world call the strategic asset management plan. It may be it may be a good vehicle to coordinate all the different key players, these participants in the enabling environment for asset management, to coordinate them in a way that we achieve the desired outcome, which is to obtain public policies that support asset management. So that's the path that we're on. It's a, it's a, it's a different way of thinking about leadership, but I think it's the way that we need to think about leadership to accomplish what we're trying to accomplish for the nation. And the result for the nation is for the nation to be able to achieve various national goals that in the case of the US aren't, are not well articulated yet. I mean, we, you know, clean water is one, clean air is another one, um, safe transportation, you know, modes or, or others. But other countries, and I'm thinking Australia, my favorite asset management, you know, shining light in the world, they actually have a, NAS, a national infrastructure uh, plan for the nation. And two of their largest states have national, in, have state infrastructure plans. And putting together those plans requires a high degree of leadership and a high degree of, of engagement with the political processes in the country and in those states. So that's, that's just huge. And that's, and they really have, they're teaching us a lot of lessons that we are still you know, trying to understand and apply in this country. But I think that's all I have to say right now. And I, I look forward to having a conversation. Yeah, before we go uh, full on, I do just want to talk with you a little bit and give you uh, a leading question. So after a national asset leadership strategy is established, what's what do you see as that next step well so it's execution i mean you're having having a strategy is it's like having a policy it's a great it's a great first step it gives you an idea of of what you're trying to do but then you got to actually do it so to me it's it's putting the strategy into action and actually executing and since this is such a big thing for a country can you talk about the sector idea yeah, so in this in this country, when when we started thinking about how to influence the political process, and the first level that we think of doing that is the congressional level, because that's the the national you know public policy body that we have in this country. And if you think about how the Congress is organized, it's organized in committees and subcommittees, and those and those those groups are organized around around sectors basically. So you've got a transportation committee excuse me, transportation infrastructure committee, you've got environmental committees that do the water sector. You've got, if, you, if you're trying to engage, engage Congress, you have the most effective way is sector-based because that's how they're organized and that's the way the laws are passed. There's no, there's no asset management committee. <laughs> yeah, so sector by sector is a good way to approach that. And uh, uh, eventually as we get the, the engine running, uh, 
we will want to expand on our sectors uh, with Grant Thornton, who is now Guidehouse. Um, uh, there was a healthcare sector that is started as a template for how other industries might want to talk about implementing the national asset leadership strategy in their sectors. So Jack Kelly brought it to a very big picture of leadership. So uh, Jim and Jack Dempsey, you wanna come in and make any comments about what anybody has been saying that you weren't able to? Well, I'll offer um, the one thing that that's hard to get your head around. And I mean, just in the conversation we're having here, we talk about asset management all the time. Is um, you know, what can it do? You know, it could. This is a great idea. You know, it's out there. Um, you know, people have been doing asset management and managing assets forever. Um, you know, almost kind of like, like what? Why is there something new here? Is it's sometimes hard to get. Um, you know your head around it. I mean, I'm I learn something about asset management every day, and, and I do like the uh, theme in terms of well, let's let's kind of think about leadership, specifically asset leadership, and um, and that's really trying to figure out like what haven't we figured out? Where do we need to go next? And you know, when I think of listen, what Jack was just saying about you know a national strategy for assets. I mean, you know, immediately one of the things that comes to mind is um, semiconductor industry is a is an asset to the nation. I mean, I'm finishing up a study at the National Academies. We're focusing on the capital uh, capital needs requirements of NIST, the National Institute of uh, Standards and, and Testing and uh, or, or Technology. And uh, that's a leading indicator. The CHIPS Act just um, you know, identified major investments into NIST as a capability to advance US's uh, position in terms of semiconductor development. Um, there's a lot of testing. NIST is, is the organization that calibrates most of the most sophisticated systems that deal with the development of semiconductors. That's an asset. And when Jack was talking about, you know, this asset strategy, um, wouldn't it be nice if we could have a coherent strategy that would understand these types of implications, outsourcing, um, you know, tech, technologies that now put the country at a point where we're maybe vulnerable or, you know, supply chains, that kind of stuff. So asset management can solve those types of problems all the way down to, you know, a preventive maintenance strategy for a pump and making sure that our, you know, our PMs are done in an appropriate manner and are effectively achieving that. It's, it's amazing to, to think that asset management is able to solve both of those problems using effectively the same tools. It's just uh, remarkable in that way. So you talked about the getting your mind around it and why this is happening now. And I'm just gonna throw in my two cents here. Uh, we went from the stone age to the iron age over tens of thousands of years, but we're going basically from the industrial age to the information age in our lifetime. And the tools and processes that have exploded out of this information age have enabled right standards, best practices across countries in a better way than they have previously. So we've got more consensus about important ideas at the association level, at the professional level, not at the political level. And now 
we've got these standards and we've got tools and processes to implement them and they are changing every day. You can constantly be improving whatever tools and processes you use. So it is kind of overwhelming, which is why I liked joining the Asset Leadership Network. So Jim, what's the role of leaders helping them deal with what Jack Dempsey pointed out is like an overwhelmingness? Yeah, uh, so exciting to, uh, to think about that we are really, well, asset management has been around forever. Asset leadership and a structured approach to asset management, we're really all inventing that right now. You know, we've been all of us here have been involved in developing standards as have, you know, people from around the world and that opportunity uh, to learn from people around the world is, is amazing. Uh, but to, when we started the ALN, the idea was to move the ball forward. So we've got a lot of hubris. <laughs> we, we, how many people, organizations, uh, relatively small, relatively new, say, well, we're going to write a national asset leadership strategy draft for people to consider. <laughs> Jack Dempsey helped us a few years ago, helped us write a draft executive order, which was too bad it didn't get put into place then. It's excellent. Uh, but I think it says something about the ALN, but I, you know, to uh, John Wyatt's questions about what to teach in the chat, what to teach about uh, leadership. Uh, you know, I think it's it's that thinking big is a big part of it. Having experience, having broad knowledge, thinking big, uh, and be willing to think out of the box. It's I got to tell you, it's stunning to me how hard it is for people to change the way they think about things. We have so many people in our profession. And they're great people doing great stuff, but uh, they've seen it one way. And, and of course, I've been there myself, so I'm not pointing at anybody. You know, uh, when I got involved in ISO standards, I thought I know what asset management is, but I realized I had blinders on, and I kept the blinders kept getting pulled away as I understood what asset management was. And I can't tell you how many times that happened, but it's that openness. Uh, to what's possible, and you know, to question things in a in a positive, effective way. And I got to say, a big part of the ALN, of course, is we have an altruistic, you know, bent of just we're trying to you know make the world a better place. And you know, you know, I'd say this little place, but I, I don't want to play it down. I mean, we're talking about trillions of dollars just in this country billions of dollars worth of assets. And we have all, all of us are already impacting that trillions of dollars worth of assets. And uh, and the, the value, of course, back to my earlier point, you know, that's derived from, from those assets by, you know, everything that happens in this country happens with the involvement and because of assets. So Jack Kelly, you went big like Jim Dieter is saying that we should do. Um, so you're trying to help leaders in countries 
understand the steps that they can take to get the ball rolling to actually establish a countrywide version of a culture of asset management through their leadership. What types of information do you think are important to include in that standard about what leaders need to be thinking and doing? Well, before I answer that, if, if in fact I do answer it, I'm gonna talk about what I wanna talk about. <laughs> um, the, uh, so one of the things you have that you have to understand about leadership is leadership is the, the, the requirements of leadership vary dramatically depending on the circumstances of the organization in which those leaders operate. So for example, if you're a leader in the city of Flint, Michigan, when you've just realized that nobody can drink the water, you know, the, the challenges you face as a leader in Flint, Michigan to try to turn that around are very different from the challenges that a leader faces in a, in a city that's got everything pretty well underway and is, and is at a different place in its, in its capabilities. So, you know, you, and, and sometimes the leadership skills that are, are essential to work through a crisis are very different from the leadership skills, maybe even antithetical to the leadership skills that have to be present in an organization that's much more mature, much more better organized and, and moving in a different way because they're, it's, they're just different kind of, they're different circumstances, there are different emotions involved, there are different skill sets involved. So leaders have to be able to, to to thrive in the environment that they find themselves in for the benefit of the organization. Mm -hmm. um, but so going back to your question now, what, what we've done, and we're still, we, we haven't got it all figured out yet. One of the things that we've done that I think is helpful is we've, we've defined the, what we call the participants in the enabling environment. In other words, these are ways to characterize the kinds of uh, organizations that people in or asset owning organizations look to as stakeholders. So we're talking about lenders, we're talking about insurers, we're talking about um, you know, the political system, the regulators and so forth. And so what, we, what we've done is we've got a, we've got a little annex in, the, in our draft standard or draft, I hate to call it a standard, a document that talks about what are the behaviors, what are the behaviors of different kinds of participants that enable asset management. So for example, one of the, so if you're, if you're talking about lenders, one of the kinds of behaviors that lenders could manifest to enable asset management is to give favorable loan rates to organizations that have demonstrated asset management competence. You know, we're going to give you a better a break because our risk of losing money from our loan to you is much lower than it would be if we if we loan money to an organization that didn't didn't do its job as well. Similarly, um, ins insurers, same thing. Um, so there are so what we have done, what we've it, it's an early draft, and I'm hoping it'll be improved as, as more people look at it. But it's like once once we can be clear in our own minds about the behaviors that enable asset management, depending on who you are, what kind of organization you are, then that creates an opportunity not only for those organizations to see themselves and what they can do to enable asset management. We also have a we also have another a related table that says what are the benefits to these participants of 
adopting asset management or supporting asset management. So they can see what the benefits are and they can see the kinds of behaviors that they need to manifest if they want to achieve those benefits. And the other thing, I mean, we're still, again, we're still trying to figure this stuff out, but if we, if we get it, if we do a good job, my goal is that the people who read this document will come away saying, well, I can see where I am in this whole em environment and I can see what I can do to, to enable asset management. And I can see the benefits from doing that. So there will be some, hopefully some self-motivation that will be created by the document. But in addition, the document also talks about um, how, how you can connect more effectively with the policymaking process. And one of the things that, that I'm convinced of, and I'm, it hadn't, I haven't gotten far enough down the path of making it work, but what I'm convinced of is that it's the organizations that have the greatest ability to impact the policymaking process in our country are probably professional associations that, advance, that advocate asset management and have good lobbying organizations. Because they're the ones that have, you know, they see it in their own interest and the interest of their members to be able to affect public policy that affects their members. And so, a shout out to our friends at the American Society of Civil Engineers who have done a great job in bringing attention to infrastructure and have done what you just said about the infrastructure bill. Yeah. So again, we're we're still figuring it out. We're we're uh, we're on. I, I, I'm really I'm excited about the path that we're on. But I, but we're it's a path, and we're not we're not at quite at the destination. No, you're, but, but you're leading it. And thank you for those efforts. And before I ask Jack Dempsey a question, uh, Jack Kelly, your first comment about there's leaders at many levels reminded me that we are almost about to publish our first paper with the Institute of Asset Management on leadership. And in that, we say that there are many levels of leadership, and we talk about the behaviors that are needed at those. So we're looking forward to getting that out uh, end of this year and start pushing and promoting it at the beginning of next year. So we're, we're very happy because that's our first uh, formal activity with the uh, writing activity with the Institute of Asset Management. So Jack Dempsey, I'm going to put a twist on John Wyatt's question. Uh, uh, and say, he's asking about education for asset management. Well, in the military, you were in the Coast Guard, there's enlisted training and there's officers training. There's different type of training for different types. So I equate the officer training to asset leadership training. And then he's also talking about DOD spending the bulk of money um, and adoption of uh, ISO 55,000, if you can talk about how your experience with uh, military training and the difference between enlisted training and officer training might play into this discussion and maybe address the idea of uh, how the discipline of what is done with the DOD and the volume that's done with the DOD, how can that help on the civilian side also? Yeah. First thing, I'll just reset that question. There's you can't really distinguish between the officer and enlisted, you know, training in relationship to asset leadership. I mean, the one thing that I think makes the American military successful as a fighting force is it it promotes and um, and it actually requires leadership at every single level, every single level. Even even if you're a 
an E1 and boot camp, you're learning leadership skills there. And uh, another advantage of, of the military training in that environment is it's results oriented. You have to get things done. You have to deliver uh, activity. So, so asset management in a big way is inherent to the thought process and even the culture of the military. And like, I mean, I grew up kind of did my time in the Coast Guard. Um, today, I, I work across DOD, uh, do a lot of work in the Air Force and Army. And uh, those same um, the same elements are there. Uh, kind of the raw materials are are there, and they're being incorporated. They're being uh, you know rolled into the schoolhouses, and learning that. Um, Jim Dieter just made a point, and you know it kind of kind of highlights something. It's amazing what we don't know, and sometimes when we discover something, it's like how can this happen? <laughs> Why is this still the case? I'll give a case in point. Uh, one of the other activities I'm working on is uh, I'm a, a member of a committee with the National Academies. We're writing a, 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 a report um, evaluating uh, federal policy related to facility asset management. And we have a number of key findings in that. The report should be released here shortly. One of them, and it's, it's kind of remarkable, and I don't think most people really believe it when it's there, and we spent a lot of time evaluating every angle on this problem, is the federal government, if you follow the policy, the rules, the regulations, and the laws, you can't do effective asset management. Uh, for example, for facilities, there's no balance sheet that tells you how much money you actually spent on your facilities. In fact, if you use the accounting structure that the federal government mandates, it makes it impossible to come up with a balance sheet. So if you're going to do like a return on investment or cost benefit analysis, you, there's no information if you rely on just the systems that the government mandates. Um, it focuses on kind of like the left brain, right brain, where one side is focused on project program management, the appropriations of funding, ensuring that it's going to be uh, funded in the correct way. The CFO Act is something that we're all very familiar with. If you apply the CFO Act and you pass the audit, all that says is that you spent the money in the authorized appropriation in accordance with law. That's it. It does nothing, absolutely nothing. This will be a finding and it's part of a recommendation in this report that's about to come out. It does nothing to put an agency in a position to do asset management, to do the trade-offs. Do I spend more money on maintenance or do I do capital investments? Do I tear down buildings and reduce footprint or do I renovate buildings? What do I do about other factors? Um, so one of the finds we have in that report, and I think it kind of speaks to this leadership thing, and it does in some respect address, you know, I think um, some glaring federal problems is educators introducing this capability, this understanding is important, it has to start somewhere, it has to start with leaders. Leaders are even educators who are trying to introduce these principles, introduce these understandings. And, and so that way, you know, generations ahead of us can grow and learn this. But uh, I think Jim was exactly right. As much as we've been managing assets forever, um, we really are on the cutting edge and in a very dynamic time uh, learning about asset leadership. And I think that's something that we can all think about and reflect on. And we're all part of that answer. So it's, it's kind of an exciting future here. Um, a lot of these problems have not been solved. And it's going to be pretty exciting the next few years to see how, how they do get solved uh, as we face ever-increasing problems and, and lack of funding and resources. We somehow have to figure out an answer. So 
it's a uh, pretty exciting times really when you think about um, the future of asset management and specifically asset leadership. Thank you. Jim Dieter, I'd like to let you have the final word before we have Nick come in and help us wrap up. Oh yeah, well, I could, I could easily go off on uh, talking about Peter Duffy and his uh, uh, value at risk model, but uh, just, just briefly, uh, he's a risk management guy. And the concept is there's value preservation and there's value creation. Uh, so what we think of as managing assets or refer to it or very, the asset centric part tends to be that value preservation. It's about depreciation. It's about compliance. Uh, you know, it's about keeping things running. Hugely important, hugely important. Uh, but it's largely a management activity where uh, the value creation is where leadership comes from. How else can we use the assets we have to create additional value for our organization and our clients and our customers. Uh, you know, how can we, you know, avoid things that decrease that? And how can we encourage things that increase it? And I think that's the exciting part to me uh, about asset leadership is the possibilities for organizations and leaders uh, to make a difference uh, in their part of the world. Well, thank you for that. And that's a perfect lead-in. Peter Delphi from Ireland has agreed to be a guest on ALM Thursday at three in January to talk about a program. And he's going to give his presentation and have a discussion on the chart that Jim said that distinguishes between value maintenance and value creation. So it's a great month, December, but we're going to be, we're already planning great things in January in 2023. So please stick around. And actually, if anybody is interested in uh, becoming a panelist after we close out and continuing this discussion, I'm willing to stick around. I don't need any of the other uh, panelists to stick around. But uh, like Jack Dempsey said, let's uh, collect this information and create a document out of it. So Michael Hardy, if you have time, uh, John Wyatt, we'd love to get your, some ideas from you too, if, if you've got time. And anybody else who's on can join. So Nick. Yeah, uh, well, that's a good call to action, Mike. And if you're interested, you can send me a, a direct chat and I can promote you to a panelist or allow you to speak to the to the group. Um, before we get going with that, just want to make sure we thank our esteemed panelists for today, uh, as well as our patron members and other organizational members who help make programming like this possible. Um, and especially wanted to highlight definitive logic uh, for Jack Dempsey's participation here today and for their continuing support. Um, and with that, we're in overtime, um, but maybe yeah. just close for, for people who are done. Yeah, so people are done. If you're sticking around, we're just going to start making you uh, panelists. Um, so I see uh, John Wyatt is still around. So I am going to promote two panelists. We've got uh, Mark Knight, he's sticking around. Oh, yep, there he is. 
Um, hi, everybody. Hi, John. Does hi. your camera turn on? Yeah, uh, I look like hell today. I'm doing great, but uh, okay. Okay. How's that different than the rest of us? Okay, let me see. <laughs> okay, I look like hell. Okay, but I got my uh, dog. I got my dog wrestling sweatshirt on for um, for Jim. Okay. Um, let me let me rephrase my question, Mike. Um, what I was really asking is this: out here, especially in California, and from what I'm reading. And Jack, this is really a good question for you. And, and Jack, good to see you again. Thank you. Okay. Since you saw me last time, I survived the heart surgery. So that's why everything got muddled up. Um, I see a big switch on budgets from money the DOD used to get potentially now to being generated for the infrastructure. That to me, in my opinion, would seem to foster an environment that would lend itself more to adoption of ISO standards. Because you got a lot more different entities, especially money that's going to come in the way of grants from the Department of Energy, Department of Transportation, et cetera, to state agencies, et cetera, local governments possibly too, who are going to be maybe more attuned to the realities of what asset management is. And I'd love to get your thoughts on that because I think that's important to me as an educator. Because right now I'm redoing my contract management program from strictly more of a DOD-based system to a general FAR-based system because I think that's where the future lies. And I just, you know, my question is, you think we're on the right track? Because I do think leadership in asset management envisions working with educators to help develop the next generation of asset managers. I, I, I think everybody's probably on board with that statement. And um, that being said, I'd love to have, and I don't know Mark, hi Mark and Anderson, hi. I'd love to get your thoughts on that because I'm trying to develop some ideas on maybe a core curriculum or something like that, envisioning asset management that Mike and I have been talking about. So you want me to talk first? <laughs> of course. So, so the with with respect to the federal government, the biggest problem that I, in my view, that we have in the federal government is the lack of leadership at the OMB level to address asset management. I mean, the it's just um, it's a sad state of affairs. I mean, I, I I wish I wish I could I wish I were still there, <laughs> knowing what I know now about asset management. But I'm you know I'm gone, and it's uh, and it's frustrating because they're just. They just don't seem to get it. And what's, so the situation right now in the federal government, you, you may or may not know this, is there, there have been a number of federal agencies that have, that have adopted or begun adopting asset management on their own because it makes sense to them. They haven't been told to do it. It makes sense to them. They see benefits in doing it. And so, that, so some agencies have actually made pretty impressive progress typically at a, at a level below the agency headquarters level. But, but people are starting to hear more about it. They're starting to hear the success stories. You know, one of the things the ALN I think does a really good job of is showcasing these success stories at our conferences and, and on our webinars like this one to let people know that you know State Department is doing some cool things. NASA is doing some cool things. Bureau of Reclamation is doing some cool things. Western Area Power Administration is, basically adopted at um, ISO 55,000 
and, and that's been adopted for several years now. And they have they have wonderful stories to tell. If you go to their websites, they'll give you like the success stories that they have that they're able to tell because they've implemented asset management. And so it's it's kind of a it's been sort of a bottom up evolution in the direction of asset management just because it makes so much sense to those agencies. But in terms of leadership from the top, like at OMB, not a. It's just a, it's a it's kind of a it's kind of a desert there as far as I can tell. And Mark, as far as I, the FAR is concerned, as far as the FAR is concerned, um, my, when I retired from OMB, I, my last five years were with the OFPP, the Office of Federal Procurement Policy. So I know people there who are who you know are the FAR experts, and I and I may be chatting with some of them soon. Well, Jack, you're the expert, but you're confirming what my suspicion was, and I appreciate that, that I think the more of this money flows down, I'm going to say, into the trenches. Those are the people that really appreciate what value is because they have to. Their jobs depend on it. And so it may be more of a trickle up uh, situation. But again, as an educator, um, you know, students are going to go in 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 entry-level positions for the most part. So I'm trying to focus a broad-based, how do I say this, broad-based government competency um, criteria for what an entry-level person with some academic training or classes in ISO and asset management broadly construed would have and how that would be of benefit to them and getting hired. That's really what I'm asking uh, in a very broad way, because quite frankly, you know, I think that's where, and you know, military training, whatever, that's kind of irrelevant in my opinion, because that's what DOD does and that's fine. But I'm I'm a state institution, state recognized state university, ACSB accredited. So we serve all clients. We serve federal, state, local, et cetera. And I'm on a panel right now at Cal Poly working with um, urban planning. And the urban planning part of this is going to involve the infrastructure bill. And I'm telling them about ISO. And I was very honored that they selected me to be on, because that's another college. And colleges can be, I'm being taped, I better shut up. Uh, Colleges can be a little bit territorial, okay? But but they're not. That's not a secret, John. Don't worry. That's okay. not a secret. Okay, but but the key is is that you know are we on the right track? And Jack, anything you could send me with some of these agencies, um, I would greatly appreciate because I'll, I'll let's have a separate conversation, uh, John. What you're involved in, you're being an excellent leader for looking into uh, you know what to train uh, asset managers for, and in this panel. But we've got Mark Knight. He doesn't he hadn't turned on his camera, but I see his microphone's off. So I want to give him a chance to talk too. I don't actually have a camera button showing up on my uh, screen mic, so I can't switch it on. I don't know okay. why. Everybody oh. can imagine go. a good-looking English guy who's living in Boston now. Now you just turned off your microphone. You didn't turn on a camera. Oh, there you go. You got a camera and a microphone. All right, there I am, down there, okay. All right, well, um, I was actually just about to hit the leave button when you uh, called me out earlier, so. uh, (laughs) um, 
I, I, I was kind of interested in what John was just talking about um, because uh, the, the well, the IAM is is also looking at how to engage universities, and it's not something I've really got too involved in because I'm wearing too many hats and um, don't have the time to devote to all the various different things, but. Um, you know, one of the things I am involved in in the U.S. is um, knowledge development, which you know, is one of the reasons we, you know, we reached out to you and we worked on that paper together. But I, I think there's a, a huge opportunity here. I mean, to, to what the, all the panelists were talking about earlier, um, we've been doing or we've been managing assets for, you know, decades, centuries. But now there's a formal you know, discipline evolved around that. We have better understanding as to what we're trying to do and how to do it. We can we can get better results. Leadership's a key part of that, but also bringing new people in is is critical. So um, I think one of the things that the IM's looking at, and no reason ALN shouldn't be doing the same thing, and that's working with universities to have you know industry experts come in. You know, like when you were at college, you know, you have people come in and they they give you industry feedback, what's going on in the real world. So there's a good opportunity for us to, to get involved as ALN doing that, um, educate students as to you know, the significance of asset management in today's world. It also gives them a, a chance to think about that as a career, but for us to then engage them in actually helping to develop some of the knowledge, maybe through sponsored projects or something like that. Um, but it's going to be a heck of a lot easier if there's a structured curriculum, um, you know, you know that one or more universities are using so what that curriculum should look like is is kind of um that's where it gets a bit more challenging i know i know there are people looking into that at the moment within the iam so i'm so glad to hear that the iam is looking at that john wyatt has agreed to be a co-chair of an aln higher education board and uh we've also got peter kohler from australia and in australia through the asset management council they do have curriculum so we're not going to have to start from scratch. We'll be able to look at what they have. And then I realized there's going to be a distinction. And, and uh, John, this is what I was talking about, officers training versus uh, enlisted men training. And I'm glad Jack Dempsey said that there's leadership training in every step of the way. But there are definite courses on asset leadership that is different than the management of the assets. And so we'll, we'll be looking into that. Mark, I'll keep you abreast of how that develops. And before we lose Anderson Martin, uh, I would love to have him uh, make a comment. You don't need to turn on your camera if you don't want to, but uh, since you've stuck around, I wanna definitely give you the chance to say or comment. And maybe we just promoted him and he had already walked away and is in the other room. So. Uh, I think uh, we're, we're, we're talking amongst ourselves now. So, um, yeah, so uh, Mark, too bad the paper, the leadership paper isn't ready because uh, we could easily include that. But maybe you can join us um, for our uh, pre-Christmas or pre-New Year's uh, events that are going to be kind of more casual. And we can talk a little bit about that, get Mark DeClerc in and uh, maybe some other folks from IAM, and that could be uh, you know, a section of the conversation. Yeah, I was, I was on a call with Ursula 
earlier today, Mike, and she I M'd me on the call to say that um, it's with the um, oh, whoever it is that does the you know the layout getting. Exactly. So I think we I think we're we're yeah. We were close last week when we were exchanging all those emails. We're closer this week. Excellent, excellent. So, well, thank you for sticking around. This was an experiment to see how to run these uh, open discussions. And John, you have any further comments? I just want to tell Mark, Mark, I'm going to send you an email, okay? Because I think we we should link up by email if, that, if that's appropriate. I'll connect you as soon as we're over. Okay, because I mean, one of the, the, I mean, just just I jump back on that topic quickly, Mike. Because yeah, um, so I, I was on a call with um, actually it was somebody from um, a UK branch meeting that I I decided to go attend. I'm actually based in um, Massachusetts, but um, and we were talking to the University of Bristol over there um, about some work they've been doing on on climate um, emergency, but they're part of a group of four. Um, regional universities that kind of share resources and, and grants and work together with each other. So I don't know whether there are um, colleges doing similar things here, but I mean, that would be a, a really good way to launch a curriculum or something like this, rather than having to go around and sell it dozens of times. If you've got like a consortium of, of colleges, you know, working together that could agree on that. I mean, that would be a real way to, you know, good way to fast track this. Part of the idea of the ALN Higher Education Asset Leadership Board is to create a free curriculum template that would allow universities and colleges to more quickly establish a program. And I guess that's what's available out of the uh, Australia. Um, but again, they're very, you know, and it's very important to have the asset management part, but we want to make sure to also include this concept of asset leadership. Yeah, and I think earlier on in the call, um, it came up a couple of times about leadership at all levels. So, you know, priming people coming straight in to jobs at a college that they can be a leader no matter where they start is, yeah, I think that's that's a really key point. Yeah, I like that. So while I've got these smart people on the on this call, <laughs> I, I want to toss something out that's been that's been sort of interesting to me. When I first read the standard, um, and this is back just just before I joined the ALN, back about 2015, uh, I read it and I thought, wow, this is just a lot of good information. It's all common sense, but it's very comprehensive, and it was. Um, it was organized in a way that I had a hard time getting my head around it because it's it's not organized. If I were writing a standard that just dealt with asset management, I would have written it differently. And in fact, that's one thing I love about the IAM six block model. That was the first time that it really came together in a, in a way that helped me understand what the thing actually did. But here's what I've learned over time. And you guys who've been around this longer than I will have probably more insights. When, when you understand the management system standards, all of them, they're all based on, they're principally based on just good organizational management. You know, it's, it's, it's all, it's what they call the blue text in the standards. It's all, it's the, it's the language that's common to all the management system standards. And so there was a question back in working group four, when we started redoing 55,000, the question was, how do you make a distinction between asset management and the other management system standards? What makes asset management? special 
And so I thought about that. And what I came up with, I, I think I said it to some people and no one, you know, that people kind of gave me this blank look. So I'm going to see if, if I get blank looks from y'all. To me, what the difference was is that in a, so you do all this good management stuff, but at the end of the day, whether you're trying to achieve quality goals, whether you're trying to achieve environmental goals or safety goals, whatever these specific goals are, there's got to be something you do at the, depending on the kind of business you're in, but in many businesses, you have to do, you have to solve the problem fundamentally at the asset level. You have to have machines with higher tolerances. You have to have machines that are more reliable. You have to have maintenance programs that are more, you, you, have, to, you have to solve the problem that you're trying to solve at the asset level. And what, what asset management standard does is it links all these high level goals to what you need to do through your asset management plans to actually make sure the assets support those goals. Now, is that, is that a reasonable way to think about things? For me, it is. I, I got another way of looking at it as well, because when, when Mike and I and Mark de Klerk worked on this paper and then we circulated it within the ALN and the IAM and we were expecting a bit of pushback on, on both sides. And we just kind of, you know, it's like a, a kind of damp sign wave. You know, we kind of we get to the point where, where, where everybody's kind of equally comfortable with it and we have something we can publish. But when I was pushing it around inside the IAM, looking for comments, um, one of the one of the email chains um, had a really good one-liner in it, um, and I thought, pardon my French, but like, holy shit, that is awesome! I'm going to steal that line and I'm going to stick it in the paper. So I'm not sure if I think I, I pointed it out to Mike when I put it in there, but it said, it, "Yeah, for a mature organize, yeah, or in a mature organization, or something like this." I'm, I'm now I say I'm going to quote it. I'm messing it up, but. In a mature organization, the line between asset management and organizational management disappears. Right. Hmm. Right. Exactly. So it, it's it, yeah. but that, that came back to me when you were talking about what's the difference between asset management and other management standards. And I mean, you, you, I think you, you summed it up best. It's just it's good kind of common sense, fundamental principles that have been codified. Yeah, but but to me the difference, just to underscore it, is is that asset management is what is what you have to do at the asset level to to you know achieve your objectives, and it doesn't matter whether they're environmental objectives, if they're you know quality objectives, you know I I don't understand I I've I've never seen and um, I've never read any of the other management system standards. I'm too cheap to buy them, <laughs> and so. Uh, I'm looking forward to Tom Smith has offered to do a course for the ALN that explains that gives an overview of the management system standards and uh, and helps you understand all of them. And I'm dying to take that course because I need to understand all that other stuff. Excellent. I'll uh, put the pressure on him. I didn't understand that that was an offer from him. So that's great. Yeah, sign me up for that one as well. Yeah, I love the idea that. Uh, the word standards come from the battle flags that were raised <laughs> in the medieval wars. And if you saw that standard, people ran away because it was associated with some badass people. Or it goes way earlier than medieval times. I mean, you have the Roman standards, you have, you know, Macedonia. It, 
I'm I don't I don't know what the first example of a, a battle flag was, but it sure is way earlier than medieval times. Yeah, but it was a standard to scare the hell out of people. Well, that's it's like if you what, saw that, don't fight that big red X or whatever well, their standard was. That that was like a secondary thing. The primary thing was to organize your forces. So your for, so the standard would be a rallying point for your troops. And, and if you could rally your troops and get them all where you needed them, then you had a chance to prevail on the battlefield. So when, because all, everything, when everything break, broke down and all hell has broken loose, you can still say, okay, if I go there, then I'll be in order. Well, I'll be where I'm supposed to be. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's kind of what we're facing right now. So I, I don't think people... Let's try, I'll try to figure out a way to make a connection between, you know, the organization on a battlefield for success and the organization we need to do in the world for success these days, battling ourselves, basically. Keep an eye out for some kind of ALN pennant on the wall behind you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks well, for listen, sticking guys. around, guys. I, I don't want to keep you longer, but uh, I, I wanted to see what kind of uh, good stuff would come out. And uh, some good things were said, so we'll make a transcript of this. And in the document we create, some of you guys will put, be popping up with these extra uh, overtone comments. Thanks, for Mike. Thanks for hosting this Thanks. extension. And nice yes. talking to you all. Thank you. And Bye -bye. John, I'll get you the letter you requested soon, okay? All right. Bye, everyone. We hope you enjoyed our podcast, and we would like to thank the Andrew James Advisory Group for their sponsorship. For more information about AJAG and their services, please visit www.andrewjamesadvisory.com or email info at andrewjamesadvisory.com. You can find this and other podcasts, videos, papers, and more at assetleadership.net.